We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And today, we're going to do something a little bit different. I want to start doing more pods where we zero in on like a specific component of the game with the end goal of having you as a listener being able to watch the next Laker game and be like, oh, there's that thing that they were talking about and help you appreciate and enjoy just the different elements of the game just by being able to see them in the first place, right? Um, and that's why, Pete, we're, we're talking just about getting packed for the entire yeah. <laughs> You know, as, as three relatively short dudes, we could definitely have an episode entirely on getting packed, hmm. right? And the experience and how to avoid it in the future. I shot some shots from some wild ass angles because that was the only way <laughs> I could get the ball up to the hoop, right? Without getting that shit set. Anyway. There you go. Um, so yeah, today we're gonna um we're gonna zero in on one of the more universal elements of the game, and that's dribble penetration. And Frank Vogel and Marc Gasol mentioned this, and a couple players have mentioned this. Something that's been really striking is that we've barely had any time to practice. And we're treating games as our practices. So what does that mean to treat a game as a practice? What does a basketball practice look like? What do you work on, right? So Darius, go back to your days of organized basketball, right? And uh, the game has changed. <laughs> the look on your face. <laughs> so the game's changed a lot, right? Since, since those days. And the type of breakdown drills. Now, like a breakdown drill is... There's a certain element, a certain action where, say, the wing drives to their rack's baseline, drives, you know, 
toward the baseline side as opposed to the middle. How do you react to that if you're in the weak side corner? And what you'll do is you'll run drills, right, of just those two dudes on one hoop. And that's why you've got like six to eight to two. How many hoops do we have in the practice facility, Mike, in El Segundo? Oh, man. Uh, let's see. The two half courts, the ones on the side, the other ones that can pull down. Uh, man, anywhere from 10 to 12, probably. 10 to 12. Right. So we've got, you know, how, how many guys on the roster? 15 or so. So you can do your breakdown drills. That's why there's 12 hoops. Right. And if there's six hoops and this is part of the challenge of like going out on the road and you got to find not everywhere has a UCLA health training center. Right. That has those type of facilities. Anyway, you'll do a little breakdown drill where you'll have a coach and a couple of your spot up shooters. The coach will rack that way, or ideally this is all players, depending on how many bodies you have. And they'll just work on that little element of it, that little two man component of the overall five man system. And so this has changed a lot in our, our lifetimes, D, but you're a guard, right? You're a point guard. Go in whatever direction you want to go in with the uh, dribble penetration principles. Look, man, when I played, which was not at a high level, like, I mean, I played through high school. I played varsity as a sophomore. And so it was honestly, when we would practice, a lot of it was like the principles of like our core offense. Like we ran UCLA offense when I was in high school. And so it was very principled. It was very much standard sets and a bunch of plays that were off of that right so like pass to the wing you cut off the high post and then screen actions and then all of that right and so when we would talk about dribble penetration a lot of that was off of like our top of the key split actions or different handoff actions right a lot of it was was not what you see today which is very much off of like dribble penetration or pick and roll stuff where it's reads a lot of times like in the NBA now. So this is a fundamental part of like, why is the game so different now than it was then? This is one of the like most primary explanations of that. Well, it's the value of shots now and the evolution of the game towards the math and the high level, I don't even want to call it analytics really, but look, the most valuable shot has always been a shot at the basket. That's been true since Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell and Bob Pettit were the kings of the league. Even George Mikan, right? There's a reason why there's even a Mikan drill. There's a reason why the key was widened because of George mm -hmm. Mikan, right? And why it was even called a key in the first place because the lane lines used to be narrower and then the top of the key actually looked like the end of a key. Right. And yeah, with the little the big circle with the little with mm -hmm. the big circle with the narrower lane line and then the free throw lines like the lane lines where players would line up. Those look like the forks of a key. Right. And that's why they called it a key anyways. And so the value of a shot in the restricted area has always been the same. And it's always been the primary way in which teams built offense. And to a certain extent, that's still true. It's just that the evolution of the game in terms of illegal defense rules and how valuable and prolific a post score could be has meant that the three point shot has become more and more valuable, not only because it's worth more, but because of the spacing it creates in order 
for players to be able to score at the basket. And instead of that being mostly post players, the Shaqs, the Patrick Ewings, the Kareems, it is the Olajuwans. It's now more off of driving than it's ever been before. And when you talk points in the paint, a lot of it is off of what can we do in terms of getting downhill with the ball in your hands, either as coming off of a screen, attacking a closeout, or even in the pick and roll, right? Where like you're running tandem actions or two-man game where you're trying to get downhill and maybe you don't have the ball. And so when you talk about some of the stuff that the Lakers are doing, Mike, the Lakers have new components this year within their team that I think speak to this a lot because last year's team, the only player that you could really rely on to get to the basket with a live dribble was LeBron. Anthony Davis would do it some, but he's seven feet tall. Like, and even though he has those guard skills that we've talked about over the last couple of seasons, he is not a work the ball low and get to the basket off of a live dribble. But this year, you not only have LeBron, you have Dennis Schroeder, you have Taylor Horton Tucker, and in a different way, you even have Montrez Harrell. It's very interesting to me, Mike, the evolution of what we see from the Lakers as an offense in terms of, hey, like, let's get downhill and let's pressure the front of the rim in these ways off of the dribble, which was not necessarily the same as last year's team, which I think threatened the rim, but in different ways. Yeah, I, I've been trying to think about the defense this year. And, uh, you know, I, I'm curious to sort of see how this, if both sides of the ball, right? Because um, a lot of this is about your half-court offense. But just in thinking about the defense, so there's some weird statistical differences from last year with, you know, certainly there's been personnel change. One of the big ones is that they've been allowing a ton of points in the paint compared to last year, but yet they have a better overall defensive rating and a bigger separation between the second. And you would think those things wouldn't go hand in hand. So just piecing through and thinking about where the areas that they're making up for that. Well, one of them is that they're not allowing nearly as many free throws. Okay. So Uh that's, so that's one thing. And that would make sense when you think about Marcus all versus JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard or, or, or even Harold in that sense, or like, you know, drawing charges and just basically staying relatively solid as opposed to, you know, flying all over the place and going for blocks and so stuff like that. Um, then there's, they're allowing fewer fast break points. So like there are all these different areas that are, that are different. And that's why I want to kind of kick it back to you on this. And how does this relay into the principles that you open the pod with um, and, and how you think that it's both effective and different and why? No. So I love that, Mike. I love that idea of, this really speaks to the construction of the team of like, what are the parts of basketball that Rob Palenka and company place the highest value on, right? They had a certain amount of resources at their disposal, especially with, so you got LeBron and AD, right? Those are the skeleton keys, the key makers, as Darius said uh, on a, a pot a while back, right? Those guys who can do anything and everything on a basketball court that you need them to do. Now, there are some elements that they're better at than others, and the uh, opponents will always scheme to try to get LeBron to shoot a pull-up jumper against a drop coverage from the elbow, which isn't to say that he can't hit that shot, but of all the outcomes on a LeBron pick and roll, LeBron shooting, that is one of, if he's going to shoot, that's probably your best option, right? So it's a matter of 
allocating resources and what did we prioritize? And so to that point of being less of a rim protecting team, we are more of a perimeter defense team. This speaks to the fundamental change that Darius was talking about of the game going toward dribble penetration. And this is why I wanted to discuss this topic is because how teams attack is fundamentally different than it used to be. And so now the type of personnel that succeeds in basketball is different than it used to be because the type of skills that are prioritized, right? And our perimeter defense is nuts. It is very obvious to me that Palenka and company said, we are going to be as good as we possibly can be on as perimeter defenders. You cannot have too many perimeter defenders in today's league, right? And that's that's something that I would I would be willing to bet that some version of that conversation has taken place uh, with Vogel, with Palenka, and think about how it plays into your coach's talents, right? You give Frank Vogel perimeter defenders, that's what he does, right? And that's also part of what's interesting about the half-court offense conversation to me is that the personality of this team, Darius, is we're an attacking team. We're fast. We're fast on defense. We're really tenacious, right? It is a quick strike uh, if you can slow us down into our half court offense, again, that's your best shot. This is also somewhere where I think that we can grow the most over the course of this season, which is why I want to focus on this topic. Well, it's super interesting when you talk about, so I think the defensive stuff that you brought up, Mike, is very interesting within the context of the Lakers clearly swapped out classic rim protection for more perimeter oriented players and some of that is just like what pete said the resources that you have available to you and what you're going to prioritize within the limited resources that you have when you already have two like supermax basically contracts on your payroll and so when the lakers were filling out their team it was sort of like, all right, well, they made the Danny Green for Schroeder trade. That's great. They were obviously looking for more youth and wanted another ball handler. And the calculus of their understanding that they were very likely to lose Rajon Rondo in free agency. All of those, I think that the the Schroeder acquisition, that's all tied together, right? It's, it's like, how can we get more production from... Our shooting guards, which we think that we're probably solid at with like KCP and maybe even Alex Caruso, and maybe we can get a like a minimum level player, which they did in Wes Matthews. And how can we then upgrade at point guard? And what does that equation look like? And Schroeder was the solution there. But when it came to how they were going to use their mid-level. And I think that this speaks to some of the stuff that I want to get it into when it comes to the dribble penetration stuff is what is the best value there, right? And I think the Lakers had options. I think they could have gone after a Tristan Thompson, for example, who got the same exact contract as Montrez Harrell and is mm-hmm. more of a player in the mold of a Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee, even if he's not as big and 
as imposing as those guys. He is. Yeah, his skills match. Yes, like are, like, are, like his skill, like like, yeah. like in the Venn diagram, it's more of an overlap with both of those guys, right? Like, oh, he's an offensive rebounder. He is somewhat of of a paint protector. He is a dive man within the pick and roll, and he's a non spacer, right? But he is not an offensive creator or a hub of offense. But instead, they went towards Harrell, who is more divergent from that mold of the Thompson or the JaVale or the Dwight mold. And and he is much more, and we talked about this with Trez in the the last pod, he is much more of a downhill finisher, both in the pick and roll and when attacking off of the dribble via turn and face post-ups. This bigger picture idea of half-court offense, and I want to kick this back to both of you, really, is I've been both impressed with what the Lakers have done offensively while also thinking they're just not as good as I thought they were going to be offensively overall. And there's a divergence there and there's a lot of space in the middle. And I, like I said this on Twitter the other day, and I believe it to be true that the Lakers are not as good offensively as the sum of their parts, right? Or like the sum of their parts is lower, I think, than what it should be. Darius, they haven't had time to practice. Like there's a process that has to happen where like the guys are actually together and actually working on some of these things. Mike, this is something that that like the cohesion of a team, right? Like how a team comes together. You've seen what practices are like, right? Like I don't ex- expect, you know, though they were working on this and that, but just like what from your view gets accomplished in these practices that due to the accelerated schedule, we just don't get to have as much. Yeah, let me let me hit on that in a second. I want to put a quick bow on the defensive thing. And just with the comments you guys made that were smart about the perimeter defense, I just I think Schroeder um, is one of the, the biggest factors there. And you, you're essentially swapping Schroeder and then Montrezl Harrell, um, like those guys coming in. And, you know, not only are you sending Dwight out then, so you don't so that second unit, then you're more perimeter oriented, just period. And those guys are kind of flying around the perimeter. So that's that's sort of one obvious thing. And there, it's just really hard to get a good, at least when the Lakers are locked in, it's really hard to get an open three. And they've almost overcompensated there to the point where, okay, like, okay, see, if you guys want to send, you know, Diallo into four, into three guys, even if it's not, they're not the best shot blockers in the league, Pete, then, okay, you can keep doing that. But we can, we're going to be able to lock that down, at least for portions of the game, and then get out in, in transition. To your point, Mike, remember the Houston series. What was remarkable about that is that we took their three-point attempts were the lowest they had been all season, right? Where it's that ability to like, we're not going to let you get these shots that you're creating against other teams in the league. We're going to be so good at this that the whole way that you're built, we are a a, a counter to that, right? An antidote to that. Right. And so now to transition back to, so I thought Marcus Gasol, I don't know if you guys heard the whole interview yeah. yesterday. I thought he summarized things pretty well, um, which is interesting, right? Because he's the he's the new guy, but he's also a, basically a basketball genius. So here's I it would be easier for just if I would have told Pete this in advance and he could have just played this quote. So I won't read the whole thing. But this is informative. So I'm just gonna read it and then let uh we'll start with Darius react to it. Quote, we tend to come out and feel the game out a little bit, see how they're playing, what they're trying to do offensively and defensively. We sometimes predetermine a little bit how we want to play early on. We have a lot of guys with a very high IQ and we're able to adapt to the challenges that they propose. 
obviously the other team is geared up and ready to go and really excited about playing the Lakers. And you can see that and feel that. So it's a part of the game. We're very confident in what we do and how we do it. And when we're all in it, especially defensively, it translates offensively and creates much better pace for our offense. Other teams can't really do much when we play downhill because we got a stop on the defensive end and we're running and we have a few guys that you can't stop in transition. So when we're all engaged defensively, I think the game completely changes for the other team and for ourselves. Darius, go ahead. So I love Mark Gasol, A, because he's super smart, and B, so before I get to B, I'm going to introduce it with a tangent. My wife teaches at an independent school. Without explaining it too much, there are people who pay a lot of money to send their kids to this school, more money than I paid even to go to college, and I went to a good college. And so, and people are paying this money to send their kids to like kindergarten. (laughs) and so there is a certain amount of like professionalism and engagement that these parents have in respect to the caretaking of their kids at this high level school right and so they got expectations after paying that kind of money yeah and that necessitates a certain type of conversation that you have you get that that filet mignon lunch man hey man no uh no sloppy joes no sloppy joes well the filet mignon ends up being these dialogue that you have with these parents. And there is a lot of, to a certain extent, talking in code when it comes to how you communicate with these parents and seeing and reading between the lines of- I love this of, analogy so much. Because you saw me laughing while he, Mike was reading the Mark quote. This is exactly right. Because I was, I had my mic muted because I was just cracking up. Go ahead. So, Mike, you've got two twin boys. I've my college roommate. He has twin boys. Twin boys can be, let's call it independent school parlance, high energy, and they can bring a lot of enthusiasm to the classroom. (laughs) And, And we're working on their ability to understand boundaries. (laughs) <laughs> right and so you got a badass kid so, that's what so this you is, got a badass kid. so this is all flowery language but if you've seen your kids around your own house and you can read between the lines you understand what all of that stuff means within the context of what your child is like in the classroom like you could be a little bit more blunt and say like oh well they're being a bit disruptive or they maybe don't keep their hands to themselves all of the time and i'm not talking about your kids i don't know your kids i'm sure your kids are great that said there is a i mean <laughs> there is a certain amount of i got a lot of energy. i got a lot of energy yes they are great but they got a lot of energy high enthusiasm yeah. it's so <laughs> I'm laughing when you were talking about Mark. Mark is doing a lot of talking in high level code there to me. And not only and not only that, Darius, I already, because I was transcribing that, I already edited a few of the softening words that he used, like a little bit, right? Or um like you know what I'm getting at? Like he he just by nature of the way that he was describing it, because he's basically criticizing, but also at the same time, he's like, I I get why, and basically we're not playing as hard as we could, and there's a couple guys that aren't. But but yeah, like uh, back to your interpretation. Yeah, so Mark is dead on, right? And he gave a very independent school parent-teacher conference answer there to me, where Mark is the teacher, and he's explaining to all of the parents 
like, hey, you know, it would probably be better if we got in line and did this a little bit more right and not even a little bit more probably a lot more because when we play this way we're going to basically dominate but i think mark also understands mark has won a championship he's played in high leverage games even before he got to toronto those memphis teams made a western conference finals and they were perennial playoff teams that even if they were a notch below championship level they already had the right mentality and mindset pretty much every night and what it meant to compete and where they fell short was likely talent based it was not based off of attitude or approach and i think Mark understands that if this team maybe played more like his Memphis Grizzlies teams, they could probably go undefeated, right? Because they're so talented and they have so much in reserve to be able to stomp teams and bridging that gap between the talent level and the night to night approach of playing hard every single minute, because you know that in order to operate at your ceiling right those memphis teams had to be at their ceiling more often in order to get to the point where they were going to be competitive and this lakers team does not do that nightly and so i think mark was softly giving off that vibe of like hey guys like let's get it together a little bit more mike do you still have the quote pulled up yes can you read the part about us working on things in the first part of the game again Yes. Uh, So we tend to come out and feel out the game a little bit, see how they're playing, what they're trying to do offensively and defensively. We sometimes determine a little bit how we want to play early on. We have a lot of guys with very high IQ and we're able to adapt to the challenges that they propose. So and then he goes on to say, Pete, that the opponent is geared up in like this. I I just I do want to separate a couple things, though. Mark is basically talking about the, the home games against bad teams. Okay, this like the Lakers yes. have plenty of games where they've hit first and they've come out and they played well. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, so he's he's talking about like these guys are smart enough. They look at the opponent. They look at the roster. They see OKC. They see who's on there. And they're like, OK, what what do we really have to do to win tonight? And and, and he's right. Exactly. That's exactly right. That quote is we're using these games against bad teams or teams where we know that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We can do something 
for a 10 minute period of the game. And that will be able to counter what they're capable of in a way where it will be so lopsided where it's, it's no coincidence. We're winning in overtime, like doing just enough to get the win. And in the context of this broader conversation is we are using these games, exactly these games as practices. Right. And so then it becomes a question of what are we practicing? What are we working on? So let's take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about I believe we've invested a lot of our resources in the drive and kick game in our dribble penetration. And I want to talk a little bit about what that means. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring easy as one, two, three, post, screen, and interview, all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately, and Indeed skills tests that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests, then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com backslash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. So, sorry, before we... we get into that. I, I just want to laugh at, at the, the softening of Mark Gasol's quote that your analogy was because I was I was cracking up going like what this dude is saying is that like, listen, y'all are excited to play the Lakers and we're over here like working on our sets on our staggers or on our ATOs or on whatever it is. It, it just struck me as a, as a super like, damn, y'all are using NBA games as practices. There's a certain like I could see why that would maybe not sit well well it's like the Mad Men meme right from like the elevator where like uh, the yeah. guy's just like i don't think about you at all basically right and that's what it is and pete this is a point that you bring up a lot about how in a way the lakers are playing golf right so when you're playing professional golf you have a playing partner and it sets up this competition, right? Where it's just like, oh, like, oh, here's Tiger and Phil and they're paired and Tiger's playing against Phil. Tiger never thought he was playing against Phil. Tiger's always playing the course, right? And so to bring it back to what you talk about with the Lakers a lot, the Lakers rarely are playing their opponent. They're often playing themselves. And what do right. we need to do tonight in order for they're us to be good? Right. I would slightly reframe that. They're trying to master scenarios, right? They're trying to master this team plays. So the last couple of teams, OKC, for example, plays a lot of ball denial and likes to blitz the pick and roll. Right. So against them, we're going to work on our how do we counter that? That's what as a player being good at basketball, you know, you know, aside from having the requisite 
talent and skill is being able to read a situation and understand this is what this defense is strong against. This is what they're weak to and having the skill to be able to exploit that. And this is that's one of the reasons why younger players don't tend to win is because they will be very skilled or they'll be very athletic, but they don't understand because the game operates at such a high rate of speed. They can't read the game and react to it the way that somebody who's and that makes perfect sense, right? Like when you've done something thousands of times, eventually it becomes second nature and it slows down, right? Whereas with young players, we see this a ton with THT, who's kind of learning when to dribble penetrate and when is an over penetration, right? And this is part of using this part of the season to like develop. THT is it's great right he I saw some stat the other day where more of his shots were around the rim off of drives than any other guard in the league and I was like well there's a reason for that right there's a reason because other guards are not dribbling all the way to the rim Darius right they are pulling up and shooting the 15 foot full up or they're shooting a little 10 foot floater over the top or they're shooting that catch and shoot three or whatever, or it's, or driving and kicking, right? THT is like, Hey, I see a lane. This is what I do, baby. I'm, I'm going to the basket. And he's learning those lessons of when to attack and when not to attack. And so that I want your thoughts on that. I feel like Schroeder and THT in particular as the newest ball handlers in our drive and kick game have made a ton of progress in learning when to attack and when not to attack. I'm wondering if you've seen anything along those lines and, and, you know, wherever you want to go. So I think that definitely applies more to Schroeder than it does to THT. THT is a fledgling NBA player. And well, yeah, it's a 101 course versus doctorate level course, right? Schroeder's in the doctorate level. Well, Schroeder also too, just has so much more experience as an NBA player. And and so Schroeder's adjustments are much more about where does my game work? So Schroeder already knows what works for him as, as a player. And now it's about applying that to a new situation. THT is in the, what parts of my game work part. That's right. Of his player development. And so THT is going to continue to drive and drive and drive until he figures out what types of these drives work in what situations do they work and against what defenders do they work? What are my finishing angles against this type of defender versus that type of defender? Some of this is instinct. Some of it is then making reads and some of it is just I'm going to try it anyway. And then if it works, it works. And maybe it shouldn't work sometimes, but it still does. And sometimes he thinks it's going to work and it just doesn't because a guy is suddenly there where he did not expect him to be there. Schroeder to me is the much more interesting player within the context of this discussion of Lakers half court offense, because in the last five to seven games, he has really started to figure out what spots on the floor are his attack spots. And and in what scenarios can he attack versus where he can't attack? What are some of those, Darius? What are some of his attacks? Look, I think that he has figured out that he is almost always going to be a baseline player. 100%. And so if you notice, so Schroeder's got two or three go-to moves, right? And they come off of a handful of actions. One is the post-entry to Anthony Davis or LeBron or Trez on the left block, right? Or even the mid post. 
shrewd their dumps. And then the Lakers action is for the post-entry player to cut baseline. And that's called a speed cut, yes. right? Who, who better to make a speed cut than a player like Dennis? That's why I'm like so many of the parts of this team make sense. Like the guy you're asking to do that. We'll get to Trez at some point, maybe not this pod, but anyway, yes, I'm, I'm right aligned with you. And, and so the nature of that is that the pass and the cut are almost simultaneous, right? And the point is, is that defensive players often relax the second that the player that they're guarding gets rid of the ball. And you see this a lot with like Steph Curry on like his relocations, right? Like he passes and then his defender relaxes and Steph preys on that, on that relaxation because once he passes, he's cutting. And then you're like, where the hell did he go? And he's relocating. He's ducking behind a screen. He's sprinting somewhere else. And he's got a beat on you then. Schroeder will make that post entry and then he'll cut. If he gets the handoff, he just drives hard and then he'll always go for that baseline layup, right hand side, backhand against the glass. Another thing that he does is they will run pick and roll where it's supposed to be a middle pick and roll, but from the right side of the floor. And instead of using that pick, he declines the screen and he drives hard to his right hand. And he'll always like lull the defender to sleep when he does. Exactly. That, right? It's kind of like this very casual and then turns it on. Exactly. And if he can get all the way to the basket, he will. But what he often does is he flattens out his dribble, drifts to the baseline and then shoots that pull-up jumper. And so Schroeder, to me, his off-the-dribble work is almost exclusively going away from defenders, away from the pressure, which makes his drive and kick game more limited to me because the best way to drive and kick is almost always middle, right? Because when you drive middle, the defense then steps up to you and that opens up spray passes all over the court, which is what LeBron almost always drives middle because he understands if he can get by you, he's going to get a layup. But if you collapse all those passing angles and he has every passing angle in is right there. Mike, I see you nodding your head. Do you want to chime in here with in terms of Schroeder or LeBron or any of what I'm talking about? When Pete brought up the half court offense idea, right, and we uh, and I started to think about it, I'm I'm going to do probably my typical thing here and say that all of this centers upon LeBron James, and therefore all of it is fine. And when it's a regular season game, especially against since we just watched the Oklahoma City games, it's all about choices for LeBron. How, when does he want to drive? Cause he can drive whenever he wants. When does he want to break down the defense and get a, to kick it out to a three point shooter? When does he want to go and finish all the way at the rim? Does he want to actually ham on somebody it, like he's, he can make these choices singularly. Nobody else in the NBA has this much latitude with what they want to do. And it's also part of the reason why going back to Marcus Gasol's comments, Sometimes the Lakers can come out and they'll just settle for jump shots for a while in the first quarter and they won't have any any uh, any gravity going to the rim. They won't have any downhill pressure and because they're kind of, you know, again, they're just kind of feeling stuff out. Think back to, to history of LeBron in the postseason, certain games where LeBron came out, you know, analyzing an, an opponent wasn't just attacking downhill and his teams got behind in series. And then people say, oh, what's going on? And then he just turned it on and he had the game like the at Boston game. So this is, this is the history of LeBron James. Your half court offense is going to be as elite um, as anybody 
just depending on how uh, how and when he decides for it to be. And you got everything that you said about Schreiber is smart and right on. And like, I totally get how that fits in. I'm just thinking if the Lakers want to have the best half court offense in the league, then they can. It's just more about LeBron's choice and when to deploy it. And Pete, I know it's not that simple, but that's my overarching thought. No, but it is that simple. And so then it becomes a question of, of not when does LeBron attack or when does LeBron be the featured part? Like, cause when this matters most, and this is goes back to the point on the last pod where I was like, I hope LeBron plays 72 games. If, if that's what he feels his body is, is good for him, right. To he's earned the benefit of the doubt for, of managing his own health in a way where like, I, I got none to add, you know, like there, I've got nothing valuable to say on the topic. So, um, he, it becomes like, how does everybody fit around him? And so that has been, it's been the, like the, where do other people attack? How do they fit in? Right. And so those baseline drives that Darius is talking about, this is, we're, we're going to have to wrap up in about five minutes. This is a, to be continued on a lot of uh, the parts of this, but on those base baseline drives, that's what we've really gotten better at. And this is something that Trez really plays into. This is a whole nother subtopic I want to get into is how good Trez is at getting into passing windows and being available from that dunker spot. Right. Yeah, yeah. And the, just the thing that I would add too, and it would it make sense to focus more on kind of Schroeder and Harrell and Gasol here is because Caruso and Kuzma, and then AD to an extent, they figured out what to do, right? Caruso, That's if, LeBron, right. if LeBron's going to be on the perimeter and kind of looking more for his three point shot, Caruso will cut to the basket, you know, or like that, or Kuz will, will go to the weak side of the floor. And then in other times, if they see, okay, LeBron wants to switch onto this guy, Caruso will bring his man up to the top of the floor, right? Like, like those are the reasons why Darius, those lineups are so effective because Caruso can just tell when LeBron is do, like what LeBron is wanting to do. Well, we've highlighted Caruso so much, but I thought the Lakers really missed Caruso in those OKC games, not because he was going to score 15 or 20 points or anything like that, but the movement and the counter aspect that Caruso brings from an intelligence standpoint, the when to set a flare screen, the when to cut and drag my defender through, when to come up and screen, when to flash into the middle and then retreat out in order to draw a defender into the paint so that he has to then get out of the paint again for a three second because he can't get a three second call because now everyone is vacated again. There is a bunch of IQ and intelligence stuff that the other players have but they don't have as much experience on this particular team in terms of executing that stuff. The one player who I think does have that stuff is Mark Gasol. And that's because Mark is a much more seamless integration with his skill set and style than Trez and Schroeder, who are much more ball dominant guys. And, and, and so Gasol is a facilitator of a lot of that downhill action, but a lot of that is on back cuts and so you see it a lot and this is where the speed aspect Pete that you talk about in terms of the Lakers half court offense where it really matters is because LeBron and Schroeder are both explosive players coming back to the ball right and so when the Lakers run any of their delay actions or when Mark is at the top of the key in general and it's not a classic delay right the ball is just swinging through and typically you would run handoff scenarios there the Lakers are really utilizing Mark as a decoy for handoffs more so than they're running a bunch of handoff actions 
right? And so the ball goes to Mark. And LeBron and Schroeder are both really good at making that false step back towards the top of the key as if they're now Mm -hmm. going to use Mark for a handoff. And then they swim move and they back cut. And Schroeder has had a bunch of success at that. He's had it with Gasol, Mm -hmm. but he had a great action like that with KCP the last game, right? Where it's that quickness and speed. And the Lakers were not this type of team Last year, they were a power team. They were a team that went to the post and they would be a battering ram team in the half court. And Dwight and JaVale were a part of that by lurking in the dunker spot as lob threats. And this year's team is just different. And that's why this topic is so fascinating to me. And this is a, a, I would love to have a, we could have a two hour conversation on this right now. Unfortunately, we're on a bit of a time crunch, but I will say this. Do do this though. Give me your, give me your, your 30 seconds to one minute summary. Give me like the, what's, give me your top line takeaway for this. I guess. So I was telling you guys before this, like, I don't usually do this, but I'm like, Hey, I kind of have this idea for a pod and uh, kind of riff with me on this if we can. And we'll still have things to figure out but it's ultimately this is the way that the game is played and this team i have no doubts that this is going to be a really really good team when it comes down to it i'm not there's nothing i've seen there are a couple things like a couple of things we're like hey we need to address this right but that's the fun of a season right it's i'm not in a position where i'm watching this team going like uh, just wake me up when the playoffs come like how this pie is being baked the different ingredients the fundamentally different ingredients what darius was just talking about on how different of a team this is while i think this could be a better team than last year's team and i loved last year's team and so that is what fascinates me and there's all of these different elements of how we play and that that can be addressed from the player's perspective from the coach's perspective from all the that fascinates me that still makes i guess i feel like these are the lowest stakes regular season games we've played in years right it was always either like we're trying to get better as this kind of as this bad but young team full of guys like that and then trying to build toward a title team last year had a lot more urgency to it we've talked about the fans and i guess that my my final point is that there's a lot of cool shit happening on this team right now. And it would be a shame if we just kind of set our watches to, you know, to the playoffs. And so I would love to dive more into that. I know we got to go. Um, so we'll wrap up here. This is a lot of fun to be continued on this. I, I, I love doing this. So anyway, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. Magic fires, it's good, the Lakers win the game, the Lakers win the game. Three seconds left, Van Exel to win it, it's on the way, good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's, There's the move. Two. Score. One. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five.
Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.